we can dream stuff, but it's up to the engineer to make sure we can do it and it lasts for mm -hmm. 50 years. Um, so flexible, forward-thinking infrastructure is exactly what we bring to, uh, to the communities of tomorrow. We've released over 40 episodes of 360 Degree City, covering a range of topics from cycling to public art to urban agriculture and much, much more. While we've explored issues and topics related to cities, we thought it might be helpful to spend some time focusing on the different actors that impact how we build our cities. So we've developed a multi-part series where I talk to different kinds of city builders about what they do, why they do it, and what unique approaches and challenges they represent. Our hope is that by the end of the series, you'll have some new perspectives on these actors and how to work with them, whether you're a seasoned city builder yourself or just starting to explore the complexity of the places we live. This week's episode is about the civil engineer. I sit down with Jennifer Massig to discuss what it means to be a civil engineer, the best of what they bring to city building, and the challenges of the profession. Let's dive in. My name is Jennifer Massick with Magna Engineering Services. Uh, we're an innovative civil engineering company. Our main focuses are on stormwater, wastewater, waste energy, and community broadband. So my history is varied, uh, a lot of engineering, a little bit of political, being a city councillor in Chestermere, and now trying to break the mold of uh, how we carry out civil engineering. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So that's what we'll, uh, we'll dive into. Okay. Um, so let's just kick right off with civil engineering. For those folks that don't know what it is, <laughs> can you explain it? Absolutely. Uh, the best definition I have heard, it was actually from my old companies, was civil engineering is the water we drink, the roads we drive, the buildings we occupy and the environment that we love so basically everything that you do you exist in something by a civil engineer so. awesome mm -hmm. that's the best most concise definition <laughs> i've ever heard <laughs> engineers aren't known for being concise <laughs> uh okay so uh with with all those varied parts about um what civil engineers influence. Mm -hmm. um, can you maybe walk through a story or two about okay. projects you've been involved with and, and what to explain, kind of illustrate what, what civil engineers get up to? Sure. Um, and I should add to, I have a minor in environmental engineering. Mm. So okay. there's always a lot of conversation about an environmental engineer versus environmentalist. Uh -huh. And uh, I always like to say that I was tasked, or really my primary objective, is balancing all three important tenements of design, which is the social aspect, the environmental aspect, and the economical aspect. Mm. And so probably the best example I have of that, uh, stormwater is more my specialty, even though we do a lot of different things. Um, about 30, 40 years ago, we started designing stormwater systems. Uh, in like Word right now, it's still spelt wrong if you type in stormwater. It's that new of a technology, really. Ah. So um, what we did is we looked at it and said, okay, what is the cheapest, easiest way to address stormwater? We don't want all the sediment going into our receiving water bodies. Uh, we'll just build giant hole-in-the-ground settling ponds. And we did that because the lever that was most important to us at the time was primarily economical. A little bit of environment. We didn't want that sediment out there. Mm. Uh, so two decades go by. Uh, so only in the last 10 years have we started to say, okay, we need to do a little better with what we were doing before. Uh, so we put four bays and oil grit separators, big concrete structures in the front to take out some of the larger um, contaminants. Uh, except for we have a big rainstorm and all that floods out and we resuspend everything and then we release it into the environment anyways. Hmm. So it's a good example of how this is how we thought we should do stormwater. So we mm -hmm. do patches or certain adjustments, but really we're just making something marginally better. 
Um, so I'm now working with a group called, I'm partnered with a group called Source to Source. They're industry leaders uh, in water and stormwater specifically. Mm-hmm. And we said to ourselves, we need to completely break open this broken model and get back to that objective of balancing environment, economical, mm-hmm. and that social component. So we said, okay, well, first and foremost, let's look at it socially. Like we're talking about building better cities, better neighborhoods, better communities. Our stormwater infrastructure is really that leftover waterscape that we have. So we should be building something that attracts neighbors into this beautiful amenity. Um, and not through a manicured facility like these holes in the ground that, de- <laughs> that geese love and nobody else, um, but building something more like the natural ecosystem that we are kind of inherently drawn to. Mm-hmm. So in that environment, you're building something that's more wetland type based. Um, uh, huge diversity of flora and fauna that in their own way create an internal balance. So we look at that and we say, this draws people into that. It creates stewardship um, around the social environmental aspect of how they interact with their environment. And they're doing this all in their neighborhood. So you would think, okay, we've checked the box of environment by doing that too. We've got this beautiful natural amenity that looks a lot like the you know, Alberta wetlands that we're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually, that's great. But the true environmental aspect of this is that re- we can, by creating a, a wetland type environment versus just a hole in the ground settling pond, we can increase water quality substantially. Like we're talking about the stuff you'd run through a splash park now. Mm. And that's coming directly out of this stormwater management facility. Mm. So now it's not a pollutant we're trying to deal with, you know, hit those minimum standards, um, that lowest cost, just get it out. And we're saying, well, what can we do with this high quality water now? Well, number one, it's way better for the receiving environment that we're putting it into. Um, Number two, we could actually reuse it back into our neighborhoods, um, offset our use for potable water and things that we don't need to be using potable water for. Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about water conservation. Um, And then lastly, there's a lot of applications for different types of process water, like even flooding arenas, different kinds of things like that. So... Now we struck the social one because we've created something that people want to be part of in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We struck the environmental one by saying in some ways, um, since development's coming anyways, we actually may be improving the environment by having these amenities. And then lastly, um, we use our engineering hats and we create something that reduces the amount of redundancy because now we're creating something that's really useful. Um, so we create an economical plus. So we remove, um, the, the easiest way is in a settling pond, you need to have a huge amount of area that just sits dead all the time by creating a recirculation element like we're doing these stormwater ponds or these constructed wetland facilities, we no longer need that waste. So we can save a substantial amount of capital cost in construction. Mm. So we're actually able to produce this beautiful amenity for lower costs than the traditional technology we're replacing. And actually performs better. Absolutely. Like 100% better. Lower long-term operation and maintenance because you've created this wetland facility that really maintains itself. So uh, our partner group, Source to Source, that originally came up with the um, invention, call it the stormwater kidney, (laughs) 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 lovingly. Um, Magna's role is in all the process delivery. So we're the one that carry it from a great idea all the way through to the finish line for our clients. Hmm. Um, And really what we did is we looked at what our original objective was. We should, as engineers, especially civil engineers, balancing that social, environmental, economic component with every every project that we move into. Hmm. So um, the first one went in a couple years ago. Uh, we call it the version 1.0 in Dale Hodges Park in Calgary. Um, and we've got five or six of them that are going coming in in North, North Calgary in the next couple of years. So we're really, wow. yeah, the city of Calgary is excited about it. Our developer clients are excited about it. And we are very excited about it. Mm-hmm. So. Fantastic. And so so that really is, is that a... <clears throat> 
uh, one of the things when I, through my experience and conversations and all that good stuff, uh, when I think of engineers, civil engineers included, just if I had to pick a single word, it would be efficiency. (laughs) So efficiency for, so typically has that been, um, so that often seems to remove the human beings that are being served in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you maybe explain that? It, it, how that shift is landing, you know, what you just described seems right. to be a pretty substantial shift. Yes. Is that something that's um, making its way through the civil engineering profession generally, or is that pretty early days? Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting because you, you've kind of nailed one of our largest hurdles, actually, mm. civil engineers. Um, there's kind of two of them that vie for that top place is the large <laughs> hurdle. Um, but the first one is our constant battle with liability. So um, when we look at efficiency and actually interesting because it's like this redundancy efficiency debate um, and uh, proven technology all the time because that's the most efficient way to do something. Um, Failure is really dangerous in the engineering field. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was at my iron ring ceremony, brand new graduate, the speaker said, just so you all remember, a doctor makes a mistake, they kill one person. You make make a mistake and it could be tens of thousands of people. Hmm. So remember your responsibility, um, first and foremost, most is to public safety um, based on our sound engineering practices mm-hmm. and they, they really nail this into us because um, failure can be catastrophic for engineering mm-hmm. so we tend to really lean on okay people have been doing this for the longest time we know it works let's just go with that one right so mm-hmm. this idea of thinking outside the box um, and working with city planners and our clients to kind of move towards that innovation space has been a tough one yeah um, so for me the answer is more collaboration mm-hmm. so we're usually tasked uh, especially actually I would say probably all engineering fields but definitely civil um, we're the we're the last say you know right it's like well what did the engineers say what did they stamp mm-hmm. where's their signature yeah. on the liability on this yeah. so when we're collaboratively working with our city planners and with our clients we're all those many minds working together coming up with that solution we all take a little bit of that ownership And even myself as an engineer, knowing that everybody understands why I'm moving this forward, they might catch certain aspects that might be, uh, you know, a public safety danger that I may Mm -hmm. not have seen. Mm -hmm. uh, And it allows me to be a little bit more innovative. Mm. Um, But it kind of ties into that second hurdle that I mentioned is uh, civil engineering services are still primarily um, won and awarded based on a low cost metric. And this Uh, is something that we're really trying to work on as an industry. Mm -hmm. It should be a value add metric, right? You don't hire doctors, lawyers, or any other profession, (laughs) you know, primarily for the dollar driver, especially when you're dealing with your own health or safety. Um, But it's something that we've classically done with civil engineering. Mm. So I think the thought was, well, it's just infrastructure. You know, we build it, you never see it. But it is the most important foundation of communities, for right? Sure. For sure. Uh, you get that wrong, and you're paying for it for a, a, a potentially a century after. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's come long answer to. Your yeah, question, yeah, no, but. that's great. And and I think like the the idea of uh, safety and impacts on health and things like mm-hmm. that, it's super interesting because obviously, um, designing and building infrastructure, there's the immediate. So, yes. and pr- I, I imagine the the you know the catastrophic is you know in a frame of an event probably. Yes, absolutely, Um, yeah. But the other frame of 
public health and safety and all those things is over a longer term. Yes. So if you avoid a catastrophic event, but design things, you know, a system so people have to drive all the time and they're fatter and have diabetes and heart issues. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. Uh, it's, it's challenging that idea that cities are evolving, mm -hmm. that humankind, we're all evolving. And the challenge is for engineering to do that too. Mm -hmm. um, we've been really, I, I love engineers, honestly. They're one of my favorite breeds. I, can say <laughs> that. Um, I, think, I think that engineers tend to be really authentic. It's kind of like we're really okay with telling people that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that um, is from that, you know, we're okay to stand up for what we believe is right. Mm -hmm. um, what the negative side of that is we can be really inward facing. So we mm -hmm. tend to be like, no one's going to agree with us. So we get the final say, we'll just do it and stamp it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's that combination of saying, no, you know, we need to evolve also mm -hmm. and kind of be more of the conversation um, with everyone else who's involved. Yes, we're the ones that have to stamp at the end, but that, again, that kind of shared responsibility, we have to unclench the fists a little bit, you know, and say, nope, or we're right about this and saying, okay, maybe we were tasked with accepting a little bit of failure, um, but doing it together and saying like, what is the amount of risk we're allowed to accept? Right. Um, I would use the analogy of a, a wooden plank over a lion's den. Right. Mm. Um, I know how much I weigh. Do I want that wooden plank rated just for my weight? Two mm -hmm. times my weight? Ten times my weight? Right. And so when I work with a client, I a lot of times will use that analogy. Mm. How much freedom do I have here? Right. Um, we want to make sure it can carry your weight. But, you know, if we're going to be innovative with a new kind of material, like, you know, how much more extra redundancy do we want to put into this? Mm -hmm. Or do we have some room for innovation in that? And so that's where that kind of shared liability comes in a bit. So right. I'm committing to bringing an intelligent professional process to this. Can you commit to meeting me that if there is some um, potential liability or risk in this, that we can share that knowing that exactly like you said, mm -hmm. 50 years from now, we don't know how you'll be using this infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So we want to think outside the box a little bit, which might add a little more risk to it now, but we'll be so happy in 50 years when we look back at this and go, I'm so glad those engineers 50 years ago were forward thinking. Mm -hmm. So. Hmm. One of the, th one of the questions that we've stumped I've stumped previous guests on mm -hmm. is the relationship between infrastructure and culture mm -hmm. and how they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's super interesting of how, um, you know, thinking about in 50 years time, looking back on how the infrastructure did or didn't influence behaviors, habits, yes. lifestyles, commu whole communities. Absolutely. Um, do, what, what are, what are some of the things you do in terms of, um, looking down mm -hmm. the decades and getting your clients to think in those terms? Well, our, our vision for our company is challenging um, our clients to think beyond tomorrow. Hmm. And so we really try to right up front enter the conversation. Um, I mentioned earlier, we, we tend to bit, uh, challenge each other on price. Hmm. Um, we've kind of removed ourselves from that process. Uh, we have decided that if we really want to move the mark, um, it's a team approach, it's collaborative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, internally with our staff, so we've got that type of team, but it also is fellow engineering companies. We have great relationships with engineering companies working exactly in the space that we are working in. Mm -hmm. And we have sat down and said, which of us are best suited for each unique, unique aspect of this project? Um, you do that in front of a client and they love to see that collaboration hmm. because they're kind of getting that third party feedback right at the table. 
So um, when new proposals come out, which has been that kind of way that we compete mm-hmm. for engineering, I'll tell a client, I'm probably not going to submit on this um, because we choose our projects based on relationship. If you're looking for the best price, there's lots of great companies out there that will do that. And my hope is, you know, little by little, other um, small engineering firms like mine, who are a bit more boutique in nature, mm-hmm. are doing the same thing. And eventually clients are starting to look to us and say, well, why aren't you bidding on these things? Uh, You know, like we really like the innovative thinking that you're doing. And we've got to be up front and say, it may not be the cheapest. Overall, it might be the most cost effective because we've been able to um, build on other elements. For example, our wastewater treatment system, which is a natural wetland also. Uh, So low operation and maintenance. Um, You don't have high level operation. You don't have big concrete plants. Uh, Also combines really well with the waste energy because we've got a substantial amount of biosolids that comes off this. Biosolids are really easy through a gasification process, convert into activated carbon, which is an extremely valuable product, and electricity. So when they say, okay, what's your cost of a wastewater treatment? My comment is, how much are you spending on your solid waste or biosolids process? And then we can loop in a lot of these other costs. So overall, the community is getting a circular economy benefit, even though maybe that one treatment technology was more expensive. So if we'd have just applied or bid on an RFP process, it would have looked more costly. We would have lost. So it really needs to be built on that relationship. So Mm -hmm. that's really our our mission is to get in front of our clients as soon as possible and talk about the importance of the relationship and um, long-term future-forward thinking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we won't go down this path, but I have a post (laughs) of, I threw it a couple years ago called Why RFP Sucks. So (laughs) uh, I'll send that to you afterwards. We can have a good (laughs) chat about that one, yes. (laughs) Um, Okay. So if if you were um, to explain to somebody um, you know, we've, we've touched on it certainly, but, um, if you were to explain what is the best that civil engineering brings to the city building endeavor, Mm -hmm. what would that be? Um, what civil, civil engineers, I think engineers as a whole are good at is not being afraid of a daunting task. Hmm. Um, we were always told the engineers rule the world, and that was the idea that we, everything that we touch, we design, right? Um, and if we could just remember that, then we are tasked with being the most forward-thinking member of the team, right? Based in uh, actual delivery. And, and that's hmm. what I find with a lot of my partners is we can dream stuff, but it's up to the engineer to make sure we can do it and it lasts for mm-hmm. 50 years. Um, so flexible, forward-thinking infrastructure is exactly what we bring to, uh, this, to the communities of tomorrow. Hmm. And reminding ourselves that that is the, the most important aspect of that. Because mm-hmm. you can do everything that you want to do with a great city, but if it's not built on those strong foundations, you know, you'll be rebuilding them every 10, 20 years and then you've lost it. Right. I I tend to say um, a pilot project is our best and worst enemy, right? So we want to make sure that if we're going to do a pilot, we're going to make sure it lasts and it's got those tasks Mm because if it doesn't, we might be coming back and uh, saying we're never going to do that again. And some of that innovation can be lost in that. But probably the summary to that long-winded answer is... um, I would say it's flexible, future-proofing foundations are probably the most important thing that civil engineering needs to bring to Mm -hmm. the future cities. Okay, great. And just a quick sidebar on the the pilot project. That's something that seems probably, I don't know, the last five to ten years for sure, that that framing of 
interventions in cities has been yes. used a lot more to sort of take the heat off. That is, you, you uh, nailed it. That's has, exactly has, it. Has yeah. that, how was that manifested in, in, uh, in the civil engineering realm? Have any um, examples? Yeah, <clears throat> a really good example. I said it's probably most of the things that we're doing. So the stormwater kidney <laughs> yep. that I had brought up um, was uh, approved as a pilot project mm. in the Saddle Ridge development last year. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because it went through and it's like, okay, we'll approve it as a pilot. Um, but the, the, we're kind of getting trying to get away from that word pilot because on one hand, it allows us to move forward the first version of something, but the second version really suffers after pilot. And the reason for that is they're like, well, we want to make sure we've got everything nailed down mm, about okay. that first pilot. Was it success? Was it not a success? And everyone's version of nailed down is different. And okay. in yeah. a uh, municipal realm, there can be a lot of like, well, we need five years of data before we can approve a second one. So we've started to call them more innovative. We've got an innovative project mm, coming through. Yeah, Please yeah. be open to innovation. <clears throat> or we've got a novel idea of doing something that we've been doing for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, we're just doing it a little differently. So is there a way that we can work what we're trying to do innovatively into the box that you've kind of created for right. approval so that right. it doesn't have to be a pilot <laughs> yeah. it just has to be maybe a novel idea okay so so in like six months 12 months we'll have to uh get a hold of the thesaurus and then we've, we've covered <laughs> innovative they know yes. they know that novel now what's next i know <laughs> i think we do that a lot <laughs> but i th that's what it's so interesting like I, I hadn't really thought of the kind of the dark side of testing and measurement because what's interesting yeah. about pilots is that there's this additional focus on measurement mm -hmm. and evaluation whereas that gets left just for sort of standard status quo, Absolutely. which actually could have very, a lot, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Which could have a lot worse results. Yes, well, but we don't measure it because yep. it's already been done a thousand times, and so the Absolutely. pilot actually suffers. Interesting. That is a hundred percent, and the stormwater design is a good example. And you had asked me about um, our impact to future cities, and one of the things uh, I used to do a lot is in the social realm but the family community services um the fcss program in alberta was originally built on stories untold hmm. so if you have a city that works well that doesn't have a lot of problem that doesn't have major disasters it doesn't have traffic congestion nothing that's really interesting to talk about mm -hmm. who talks about how great that city was built Hmm. Right? So when we build great cities, they're usually the stories untold, right? right. You, you don't know that your health and everything else is attributed to how someone laid out the streets or the right. fact that you have a lot of water resource in your community so your utilities are lower or you've been built, you've built a city in such a way you don't have to drive all the time so infrastructure is substantially lower so your taxes are lower, mm -hmm. right? They're just not the stories we tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the hard part is to really make a difference, you need to do something knowing that you will never receive accolades for it. Mm. So. I remember right. one person saying, like, <laughs> engineering, we're doing this engineering so my grandchildren can be proud of me, right? right. But I may not be there the moment that they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that's where the, that pilot conversation is. Are we willing to jump into this knowing that we may never see the benefit of it, but right. we're going to work together to come up with what we believe the future might look like. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and if, if there needs to be five years of measurements, but yeah. again, five years would pale in comparison to a couple of generations lived in that community, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's quite the process. Super easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing fun is ever easy. Come on. <laughs> so uh, again, we've, we've, we've touched on it uh, a bit already, but I wanted to explicitly talk about, so what's the, what's the dark side? <laughs> so what are the most kind of problematic practices or habits uh, or ways of working of the civil engineering profession well, as it um, comes to city building. Yeah, you know, a really good example. So um, a lot of my career has been spent in BC and Alberta. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really exciting to see so much good, strong policy in the province of Alberta. Because you think, we're, you know, we're, we're protecting our environment, we're, we're setting up those good foundations for the future, um, for that social component. Um, we've understood how policy affects the dollar. That's, that's the dream. Um, so what it's done is, is it's created this really big, expensive cookie cutter. <laughs> and uh, so when innovation comes to the door, we're like, no, 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 it doesn't fit into this really beautiful framework of policy that we have built. Hmm. Um, on the flip side, when I work in the province of BC, there's next to no policy framework. Um, it's more or less, you're the engineer, you're coming to the table, you're going to tell me this works. We've got some requirements to make sure public safety isn't at risk. Mm-hmm. But in general, if you want to bring innovation and you're willing to stand behind it, let's go for it. Hmm. And so it's been a really interesting dynamic between the two provinces because it would seem that Alberta is this, they've put so much effort into this bureaucracy around making sure that we protect these tenements that now we're being basically hindered from doing something innovative and what we think is actually better for communities. Hmm. So piloting in BC is not really piloting. It's like, okay, it's new, it's novel, it's innovative, but you as the engineering you know, industry are going to stand behind it. Mm-hmm. In Alberta, it seems like there's almost like a distrust in some way. It's like we're going to keep engineers in this box. And so engineers have stood up to that and said, okay, sure, we'll stay in the box. We'll charge 10% engineering fees and we will build these big, beautiful facilities and that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. But Alberta communities can't afford this kind of these checkboxes or these huge lists of things that they need to have when Mm. you're a community of a thousand people. You just need a really good wastewater treatment wetland, but it doesn't fall under the existing guidelines. Hmm. We build them everywhere else in the world, but in Alberta, they don't fall under those existing guidelines. And those strict guidelines keep um, civil engineers in Alberta from being able to kind of work outside that box. Okay. So that's that's the dark side of like, I guess some of that planning we've yeah. got the best of intentions yeah. but yeah we're trying to move the mark on that and from the from the this the perspective of uh like inside the profession itself mm-hmm. is it um because it's such a uh proof-based solutions-based <laughs> yes. profession um is the idea of pushing innovation is that one of the the kind of things that perhaps holds the profession back across you know just just as a generalization probably yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely i I would i would agree with that and um interesting too 
engineers review engineers, which is an interesting thing too. Hmm. So, um, you know, Alberta is a city of Calgary is a really good example. Huge engineering staff at the city of Calgary. So I remember when I was a junior uh, engineer, I loved it because whatever I approved, whenever I submitted to the Cal to Calgary, hmm. I knew a big group of senior engineers were going to review it and push it back if it was wrong. Hmm. Um, and then I worked in Edmonton, who has a much smaller engineering group and a lot more of the liability was on me, but it also allowed me to have a lot more creativity hmm. because there wasn't an engineer on the other end who was putting their agenda on top of mine, hmm. right? So um, it comes back to that original, we've, we've been competing against each other within the civil engineering industry for too long. Mm -hmm. And when we get back to the idea of saying, you know, your good idea, I can build on your good idea. Maybe I don't need to own it, right? So right, that right. collaborating together, getting these engineering companies that say, um, I'm not going to compete with you on this next bit. I'm actually going to go in with you on it. Like with us five mm -hmm. engineering companies that have a really good idea, come together and put a proposal together. Let's show the client that we're willing to all work in the sandbox together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's hard because we've been kind of taught that we need to have this edge. We need to have this competition between each other right. because only, you know, only the strongest will survive. And we see that with some of these like mega civil engineering companies mm -hmm. we have in the world. Mm -hmm. um, whereas civil, you don't really see that a lot with the architecture, city planning. You tend to see more of this boutique kind of size. Yep. And I think that that's something that civil engineers could really take a, take a page out of that book from. Interesting. And I, it, it, it kind of relates to a, a, a quote that I heard someone mention a few months ago of um, at the individual level, mm -hmm. when you're saying, you know, I have 17 years experience in this. What you're saying is you have one year of experience 17 times. Yes. And so firms, <laughs> so when, when yeah. you're doing the hiring of boutique firms that are pushing the envelope, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you're there's less there's more opportunity for folks it seems to be a big firm that have done this a thousand and one yes. times and Absolutely. so we'll just have done it a thousand and two times after your project's mm -hmm. over yeah yeah and yeah. you know I was talking to someone about this you know a lot of these um, RFP calls come out and they say you need to have three to five specific examples of the project <laughs> you're about to apply yeah. for yeah. and you're like well <laughs> I don't actually yeah. I have a number of different examples of potential elements of what I want to be innovative into design for your system yeah. but if you want the same guy that's done the same system for 50 <laughs> years I guess that's who you're gonna get yeah yeah right sure. and come back to that that yeah. competition piece you you absolutely yeah. nailed it that yeah. is absolutely the problem yeah so. and then at the the next line probably says but we insist on a made in insert community here solution <laughs> yes what which one I totally <laughs> yep that's where the phone call and the personal presentation comes in yeah, yeah. um so if you were uh to if if we have listeners out there that are starting to get into um, city building, whether that's, you know, students, it could be citizens, whatever. Uh, if they cross paths with a civil engineer, yes. what, what's some advice you would give to uh, how to best, uh, best work with those folks? Um, to challenge them to ask if they know how people use their infrastructure. Mm. So uh, I guess because I'm in stormwater and wastewater, it's a big one, right? Well, how are you using you know, how am I going to use your wastewater treatment facility? Mm -hmm. And the engineer will probably say, don't live anywhere near it. <laughs> it smells mm. bad. It's a big, ugly eyesore down the street. Mm -hmm. You know, buy somewhere else in the community. Too bad for anyone that has to live next to one. Mm -hmm. um, and our hope is that we're challenging that to say, let's build something that you would live next to and be proud of. Mm -hmm. Right? This is the way that we have 
you know, historically treated water. The world has been doing it long before us. Nature's been doing it. So mm -hmm. let's get back to something that we're proud of. Mm -hmm. The resident in the community that lives next to it can be proud of it. Hmm. Okay, great. Uh, so again, we've touched on it uh, already, but when we think about the future of cities and where they need yes. to evolve, um, what are some of the key components that civil engineering needs to evolve? Um, number one, and it's a, a, I don't know if it's a buzzword or whatever, but the circular economy term mm -hmm. is becoming a really big one. Um, we're constantly being challenged to build affordable infrastructure. And I think the only way to build affordable infrastructure in our communities that's also, you know, got that flexibility, flexibility and long lasting uh, is when they build on each other. Mm -hmm. So we like to say uh, we've got this complete solutions. We're, we're, we're naming it as that partnership between Source of Source and us and actually Bailing International. Um, we take all solid waste in a community and that's so that's solid, your solid waste, sorry, all waste solid waste, wastewater and stormwater, and through a circular economy. So the system's working together. We can create a recreational grade water, a little bit of that activated carbon product we were talking about, um, and clean either thermal or electrical energy. Hmm. And all that goes back into the community. So now the cost for that infrastructure to you know, build it, update it, you know, maintain it, um, anything else you have to do with that, all that funding goes back into lowering the cost of those um, resources that have gone back into the community. Hmm. So now we've got autonomy within a community. It doesn't matter how big or small we are, we can, you know, benefit from the cost of, of what we're doing. It also, um, I hope, connects us to what we're doing with our waste. So one right. of the discussions we always have is we get very disconnected uh, day to day. We throw it in the garbage, we flush the toilet, whatever we do, we go to the grocery store to buy food. We're very disconnected from where all this comes from. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that circular economy idea brings us back to understanding how what we do with something right now comes back around um, to our home. Mm -hmm. So I think that the circular economy idea about how we deal with infrastructure is a really big one. Yeah, very cool. Because we, we just had a, a recent episode where we were chatting with, with the folks at Sonavera about the circular economy. Okay. And, and their focus on on waste, but we, in our research and conversations, we haven't really delved into the idea of you know kind of the some of the the sort of municipal waste side yes. of things and things yeah. like that. Super exciting. Yeah, yeah. Water's an easy one, um, yeah. and it, it's funny. It's an easy one that we're not doing, which is incredible. Right. right. Um, especially in southern Alberta, we 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 had some had a great idea uh, back in I think it was 2006 to protect the basin from an over you know pulling too much water out of it. Mm -hmm. um, we inadvertently lumped stormwater into that. So right now, uh -huh. you actually can't pull stormwater out of a storm pond and use it back in your neighborhood. So there's a limited amount of applications, irrigation, stuff like that. But there's a bunch of us industry leaders that are lobbying pretty hard to the new government yeah. uh, to make some updates there. We are see seeing movement. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's just it's a, it's a big engine to turn around. Yep. Um, but water is a really simple one. We know watersheds. Um, we're, we're taking water out and shoving them downstream as quick as we possibly can with development mm -hmm. and bringing that back into the watershed to protect it for drinking water and long term protection of water um, is something that we should all be doing right now. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that whole idea of, it's interesting, the circular economy kind of like waste and water infrastructure mm -hmm. really is kind of an out of sight, out of mind kind yes, of scenario yeah. in, in a lot of good ways, but <laughs> also there's a consciousness about it that, that doesn't exist yes. because of the, the, the good work that civil engineers have done. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, last question uh, that we ask everybody. Mm -hmm. Can you share a city that you love and why you love it? Oh, <sighs> you know, I, I'm in Chestermere now. I grew up in Sylvan Lake. 
and um, you know, I equally love both of them. And the reason I'm going to say it is when I was on city councilor in Chestermere, and I still keep in touch with a lot of my Silver Lake colleagues, is I wanted to get a t-shirt that said, we're prettier than you are. <laughs> and, um, but it meant a lot uh, for people to come visit me in my community and say, this is a beautiful community. Hmm. Like the, the attraction to be in the community is something that I find really important. Hmm. Um, and, and I've really enjoyed that about both of them. Yeah. So this pride that comes with that. So. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks uh, so much. Thank you for having me. Today's perspective is one of many in city building. Every contributor has its challenges and opportunities. If you think we missed any key points about this profession, let us know. Email us at hello at 360degree.city. Stay tuned for our next episode in the series. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.